been for a really long time that's actually finally coming to a conclusion. And this series is in 1 John, and we've entitled it Light and Life. And Light and Life because it's reflecting directly on the light of God shining in our life and the life that He gives us. And today we are moving towards just those last remaining verses that are found in the letter that John wrote when he was probably 90 years old to a group of Christians in a church that were struggling with some of the new kinds of teachings and new directions that were leading them astray. I've titled today this, Can You Hear Me Now? How many of you recall the Verizon commercial, right? Back in, I guess, 2002 it started and ran for a number of years. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now, right? And uh, we have that, that lingo going, and part of the reasons we dialed into the Verizon commercial of can you hear me now is because we do that, don't we? If you live in French Valley, where I do, that happens a lot. Hey, hey, where'd you go? Can you hear me now? I, I, you're breaking up. Gone, right? And uh, so that whole idea, can you hear me now, has uh, been a little bit of a, a theme kind of thing. Now, interesting thing, I guess the Verizon guy then jumped a sprint because he could hear better there. I don't know. But uh, the hear me now kind of thing comes to us as Christians, as seekers of God, as people maybe where you're having a season of life where you're crying out to God, right? Even atheists cry out to God, I think, uh, when they're in a, a very difficult situation. They say that there are no atheists in foxholes, right, in wartime. There's that desire to cry out. But the question is, can you hear me now? And that question, can you hear me now, is really a sincere, honest question to God. My question to you is this, is your prayer, is prayer for you your first response or your last resort when you are in a difficult position? Is it your first response? Is it a first responder kind of thing of, I'm going to pray? Or do you sometimes say this statement, which is really not a good statement when we think about it and understand prayer. Well, I don't know. I've done everything I can do, so I guess uh, all I can do right now is pray. That phrase, all I can do right now is pray, well, that's a last resort kind of approach to prayer. And part of the reason that we fall in that category is because we're not sure if he hears us now. Or if he hears us now, can he do anything about it? Because that question, can you hear me now, reflects uncertainty about two things. And what John talks to us today about is those two things concerning prayer. And he wants us to know the certainty of hearing and the certainty of having. Having Hearing, hearing, having. One of the reasons we maybe hesitate to pray is because we don't know if it gets past the ceiling inside the room that we're at. Or if it's just a good therapeutic exercise that makes us feel all warm and better. Prayer is speaking out of our heart, communication to God, 
And there is the question mark whether God is really listening. Have any of you ever been in a season of life, maybe you're there right now, where you're not so sure he is listening? Maybe it's because he's turned his back on you, you think. Maybe it's because you've been a wayward person and God would never listen to you in the condition that you're in. Maybe he's just too busy to worry about your little life. Or maybe he's too distant. He's so far away, the great God way out there, that he would never have an interest in the intimate things of your life. Are you challenged in your life today with believing that God can hear you? John says you can have certainty that he's hearing you, and you can have certainty related to having what that request is. Now, a lot of times we think in terms of uh, prayer as asking. And it's not the first time that he's addressed prayer in this letter. In fact, we talked about it uh, back in the early part of July, about effective praying. But for whatever reason, it's so critical as he's finishing out this letter to circle back around to this subject of the certainty of prayer because of the situations that were going on. And so he's going to address the hearing and the having, and then he's going to give an illustration concerning that as he's moving to the end of this exhortation to those Christians. The hearing and the having is clearly seen, though, as he pens these words. 1 John 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. Now, that's pretty straightforward about the hearing and the having. He says, you want to know if God hears you. Well, here's how he hears you. And you want to know if you can have what you've asked for. Here's how you can know. You can have what you've asked for. The certainty of God hearing and the certainty of us having. The hearing thing is dependent on one critical matter. What is that critical matter? The critical matter is whether or not how and what you are praying for is in the will of God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. One of the most helpful things that I have found in my prayer life is to visualize being in the presence of God. Sometimes we would be uh, fearful to come into his presence. That was true of uh, the Old Testament days, to be found in the presence of God. God would say, you can't be found in my presence. He told Moses, you can't handle it. You can only see the hindsight of me. Moses went to the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments. But all through Scripture, we find this awesome, incredible presence of God. And it would be intimidating. And Scripture says that no man has seen God at any time with his own eyes, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus Christ came to show us God. 
But when we come to prayer, we're trying to come into the presence of God. It's much easier for me to show up at your house, sit down with you after church, face-to-face, and have a good talk and communicate that way. A lot of times, if you're communicating by text, you miss out on facial expressions, innuendos, and you have miscommunication that goes on. So face-to-face communication is the best communication, especially if you're going to ask for something. So let's go before the presence of God, but yet... Are we allowed to go before the presence of God? No one's seen God at any time. They've seen Jesus. I guess I can approach Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. The disciples walked with him. John, who's writing this letter, he spent all kinds of time with him. But John was not hesitant concerning being found in the presence of God and having confidence in approaching him. And so it helps for me to be able to visualize approaching God. And it says in Scripture that God's presence dwelt in the temple. But when Jesus Christ came, he did something real radical concerning the temple. Maybe you're familiar uh, with the whole concept of the temple, but I want to look at this passage in Hebrews 4. It says this in verse 14. See then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus Christ did something huge. When he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he became our high priest. You didn't have to come today to uh, a confessional time to be able to go behind a curtain, to have confession, to talk through a priest, to get to God. You can go boldly to the throne, to the very presence of God, and plead your case, be able to share your burden. You have direct access. And what Jesus did when he died and rose from the grave was he opened up the temple so that everyone could come into the presence of God. Now, the temple, if you are familiar with it in the uh, Old Testament, the temple that existed at the time of Christ, had three critical areas to it. Huge, really tall. Have you seen pictures of it? There was an outer court. And so for us, maybe that'd be like the commons area when you walked in, or we sometimes refer to it as venue D, you know, the commons open area where people would mix and mingle, and some of you hang out there way too long before you come in for worship. And I'm getting upset about that. I'm just saying that happens. And so, you know, you're out in the outer court, right? And then the next place inside the outer court was um, the holy place. And that's where they would offer sacrifices and stuff. And that's, maybe that's like this room, the holy place. And you come and you lift up your worship to the Lord like we did. But then there was the holy of holies, which was further in another room. And there was a thick, thick, like 12-inch thick curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant and some other things, and they would not be allowed in there at all. Only the chief priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies. One time a year, Day of Atonement, and he would come into Holy of Holies, and he would offer incense and the sacrifice kind of thing on behalf of the people who were outside in the Holy of Holies. Now, you're going with my analogy here, but uh, let me step down here. Let's say the stage is the Holy of Holies, because I don't need to be in there. 
But it's the idea that the chief priest would be the person that would do the ministering up here. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he ripped the curtain. The curtain ripped on its own. He didn't fist. Just boom. It's like, and it, from top to bottom, that thick curtain was rent. And symbolically, what does that mean? That the Holy of Holies is opened up to everybody who's worshiping in the holy place because we have a chief priest, the high priest of Jesus Christ, and through him, we have direct access to God. So, hey, y'all, come in from out there in the commons and the outer court. Come in here. Let's have worship in the holy place. But guess what? You get to boldly approach the throne of grace because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so I visualize in prayer walking into the very presence of God. And it's a humbling place to be. Who am I, a sinner such as I, to be able to approach the purity of God? But through Jesus Christ, I can. And so when John is writing this letter and encouraging these Christians with the trouble that's in their church and what's going on, he's trying to tell them that they need to have confidence that they can come into the very presence of God and make the ask. I sometimes think of it like a boardroom, and the doors are opened, and God of the universe is sitting there, and he says... What needs to be happening in the great world that I've created? And I get to have a seat. You get to have a seat if you're a believer in Jesus and you get to be able to say, hey, this is my discernment. This is my request. So let's not be wimpy about it. Let's also not be arrogant about it. And definitely, let's not be dismissive of the opportunity to come boldly to his throne. This is the confidence, he said. In verse 14, we have an approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will. Oh, there's the key for when you enter that bold place in the Holy of Holies. Let us have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. You don't have to be wishy-washy about, hey, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? He hears you when you approach him with confidence, not in who you are, but in who Jesus is. And when you approach God with that prayer request that you're carrying a burden for right now in your seat where you're at today or wherever you're seated watching online, that burden, that prayer that you have is not some wish, well, well, there it is. I hope you can do something with it or I don't know if you can hear me now or I guess all I can do is pray. No, you come boldly before the throne and you ask in his will. Now, here's the deal. A lot of times God doesn't hear our prayer. Why? Because we are not praying in His will. We think we are sometimes, but if we were to examine our prayer request, it probably is sort of self-centered. And that self-centeredness leads us amiss in thinking that He's actually hearing us. Because ultimately, 
Just like Jesus laid down his life for us, he prayed what? Father, take this cup from me. But then he prayed what? Father, not my will, but your will be done. He modeled that for us. He lived that for us. So if you're going to pray, ultimately you need to be praying not for your will, but for God's will to be done in a situation. Now, your particular interest in that prayer request may align directly with the will of God, but sometimes it doesn't, and he can sort of try to correct that. But if you want to know if he hears you now, then you need to be praying in his will. And how do you know how you're praying in His will? That's why it's critical to be able to be in Scripture, to get to know God, to understand what it means to have a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you in trouble in your life right now? Are you short on some end of the stick that, you know, is driving you nuts? He knows that. He sees that. He understands that. But even in that particular need, you're not coming to Him like He's... uh, Aladdin in a bottle or a heavenly bellboy, just at your, hey, hey, over here, I, I got a wish. You know, I, I got an errand for you to do. No. We seek to understand and discern his will. Now, I just had you do an exercise there during that Jeopardy moment where I had you write down the names of three people. Three people in this valley who you personally know who need a relationship with Jesus. And I said, we're going to pray for those people. Now, when we pray for those people, we don't have to be wishy-washy or wonder if God's going to hear us. Why? Because Scripture teaches us that God desires that all would be saved. That God desires that all would come into relationship with Him because He died for the world. For God so loved the world. The people you see on the news, the people that bother you on the news, the people that bother you in your work cubicle, the other people that are driving past you and you're really upset with them and how they drive. Everyone you see, God has a desire for them to come into a relationship with Him. And so for us to pray, God, would you bring this person to Jesus? Maybe it's a family member. That is in the will of God. But when you pray... Your heart attitude needs to be, I want them to become a Christian so that I have a a point of connection with them better. I'd like to have somebody to sit with in church or something like that, right? Well, that's leaning towards the self-centered side of the prayer request rather than the God will side of things. We want individuals to come to know Christ so that God may be glorified through his Son. And so when we pray, God, may you be glorified. Even in our suffering, even in our challenges, maybe it's a broken relationship. You dig deep and you have to get down to, Lord, whatever it be, may you be glorified. I was even thinking of that in part as Joe was sharing up here this morning. Been a lot of prayer going into the direction of not only their life, but for us as a church, as we've come through all the COVID journey and other things at hand, and God's got us in control. And I see that. I see Him so faithfully working in so many ways. And here's another opportunity for Him to work. But I tell you what, there's a lot of soul searching and digging. When I realized a couple weeks ago there's going to be a transition in worship leadership, I went, Oh my gosh, Lord, help me out here. Pastor needs some help. I don't want to have this stress. And God says, Carrie, how long does it take you to learn? You're 60 years old now. 
I've got things well in hand because it's not your church, it's my church. Oh no, I forgot. And if I am leading and directing that way and answering a prayer, then I'm going to be answering and directing and leading a prayer on behalf of the body with this because I desire praise and worship. And it's not about the leaders, it's about the spirit of the worshipers who all come, all of us together. And so I say, you're right, Lord. Your will be done. Even if it's going to bring a challenge into my life or in a staff member's life or your life, God is where the glory needs to be directed in all of our prayers. So he will hear your prayers if you are praying in his will. Let me give you an example of this is not a prayer in God's will that he will probably hear. This is a prayer came across of a, of a girl who was praying on her wedding day. Here's her prayer. You ready? Oh, dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately with all the rush of getting ready for today. And I'm sorry, I guess, too, that I feel a little guilty when I try to pray about all this since Larry still isn't a Christian. But, oh, Father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I just couldn't give him up. Oh, you must save him some way, somehow. You know how much I've prayed for him and, and the way we've discussed the gospel together. I've tried not to appear too religious, I know, but uh, that's because I didn't want to scare him off. Yet he isn't antagonistic and I can't understand why he hasn't responded. Oh, if he, would only, if he only were a Christian. Dear Father, please bless our marriage. I don't want to disobey you, but I do love him and I want to be his wife. So, so please be with us and please don't spoil my wedding day. Now, that's sort of a sincere prayer. But that's not a prayer with the right motive or praying in the Father's will. It's almost like she's saying this, if you stripped away all the fine and pious language of it, Dear Father, I don't want to, dis I don't want to disobey you, but I must have my own way at all costs. For I love what you do not love. I want what you do not want. So please be good, God, and deny yourself and move off your throne and let me take over. If you don't like this, then all I ask is that you bite your lip and say or do nothing that will spoil my plans and let me enjoy myself. If you peel back the veneer of some of your prayers, would it really be something like that? Friends, it's not easy. It's hard. We have needs. The Lord knows that. He wants to meet our every need. Sometimes our needs slip into wants, right? And we have to wrestle with that. But at the purity, at the heart of a pure heart, it needs to be a prayer offered. Father, your will, not my will, be done. And we seek to discern his will in the things. God, save my marriage. Save this relationship. God, you know, help me out financially or get me a new career or whatever. All those things are legitimate prayers to bring to him. But when we bring it to him, he will not hear it if we are praying in a self-centered, dictatorial, controlling kind of way. We need to learn what Jesus modeled. And that was the life in being 
a servant unto the Father's wishes. Prayer moves God to action according to His will and purpose. If we pray outside His purpose, then there is no assurance our prayers are even heard, let alone that they will be granted. I don't know if that's a good news or bad news for you today. But if you take it to heart, you won't be going around going, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Where are you at? You'll be understanding that God does hear every prayer that's petitioned in His will and for His greater purposes. Maybe you've heard me say this before. It's been around, but I like it. These three things go through me whenever I'm praying and have a request. If the request is wrong, God will say no. If his, the timing is wrong, God will say slow. And if you are wrong, God will say grow. He desires to answer prayer, but it begins with the request. Is the request right? And is the request in the will of God? If you don't know the will of God, then you pursue it and you seek it. A lot of times, God hears us, and we don't see an answer. You know why? Because the timing's not right. The timing's wrong. And God will just say, hey, slow, you wait, you wait. I don't want to wait. Yeah, because when you wait, part of you is wrong, and I'm going to cause you to grow. Oh, okay. And maybe he knows things that we do not know anything about. Scripture says his ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts. That little um, grid right there helps me a lot when it comes especially to unanswered prayer. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. I find a lot of times in prayer... God saying, it's you. I want to change some things in you. And if there's definitely iniquity in my heart, I need to offer that prayer to him. I don't need to get down in sackcloth and ashes, but there needs to be a true repentant heart saying, Lord, I'm wrong there. Please forgive me and to move forward from it. But God will listen to our prayers. He will listen. And he will act. The certainty of God hearing is addressed by John there, and now he addresses the certainty of us having. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Yeah, he hears me. I got in. I got the ticket. I got to the, the, to the green room, and I was able to meet him, and, and we dealt with things, and I shared my thoughts, and I gave my pitch. Okay? What's going to happen now? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know, we know that we have what we ask of him. So this is really encouraging news. If you're praying in the will of God for him to be glorified through your life, through other people's lives, if you're praying in the will of God to push something forward because it's of him and you can honor him in it, and he's called you to do it, that 
Make the request known in the will of God. He hears. And if he hears and it's in his will, you will have. You will have. And you step back and go, I'll be. That's amazing. I don't have that confidence. I think maybe he hears me, but I think he's going to be up there and dangle me on a chain and go, oh, not now. <laughs> That's like, like a carrot, right? No, no, keep going. Well, he might have his purpose. That's why it's not answered to that moment, like I mentioned. But he is not out to make your life miserable, to play games with you. He's ruling over the universe. And he's chosen to do it through those who have invited Christ to be the lead in their life. And you may very well have a solid request to come into the boardroom and say, here's my petition. Come boldly, with confidence, before the throne. You will have what you ask, if you ask, in the will of God. Remember Jesus, he had all kinds of words, instructions he gave to his disciples. He says this in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door, will it will be opened. And then he goes on to say right there, who, which one of you as parents, as a father, whatever, a mother, that if your child asks for bread, you're going to give them a stone? That's, that's, that's not true at all. Or, you know, if, if they're asking for something, and are you going to give them a snake? No. If you know how to give good gifts to your kids, then my goodness, why wouldn't the Heavenly Father want to give good gifts to you? This is where this passage comes from. Jesus speaking truth. And he had that relationship with the Father, and you have that relationship too, if you're a child of God. He goes on then from the hearing and the having to give this illustration. We don't have time to dial down into it, and thank goodness, because it's a pretty deep, controversial passage. But he gives an illustration in light of answered prayer. And he says this, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about this. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, the reason this is a big controversy is because this whole thing of what is the sin that leads to death? Brother or sister, he's directing this to those who are believers. So he's saying to believers, he's saying of a believer, that if that believer has committed a sin that does not lead to death, then you should pray in full confidence, and God will give them life. What is the sin that leads to death? And this is where there's various views on it, and we don't have time to really expound on it. I'll leave that to some other theological, biblical scholars here necessarily. But there's about three or four different kinds of views. Is this referring to a sin, if you do a sin, that it's going to result in death? It's actually where the Catholic Church gets the whole concept of mortal sin from. Some of you come out of that background, the separation of what are mortal sins, what are venial sins. Venial sins are smaller sins that are forgivable. Mortal sins, you know, something like suicide, murder, maybe something like that. that that's an unforgivable kind of sin. Scripture has no categories for different kinds of sin. 
And even though this passage is translated in some versions as mortal sin, that's incorrect. There is no difference. All sin, all wrongdoing is sin, he says in this passage. But is this sin unto death maybe associated with the unpardonable sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Ooh, where's that at, Carrie? What's going on? That's for another day. Continued resistance to the Holy Spirit. If somebody gets in a state of mind where they just have no conscious uh, recognition of spiritual things or God speaking, does he just hand them over unto not just a physical death, but maybe an emotional state of death in their existence today? Or is this referring to a believer who has gone a certain sin pattern way and because they've been defiant, knowing what God's will was, and they continued to go that way, he just allowed them to come home to him. Sort of like the analogy of kids playing out in the yard. And it's like, son, you better stop doing that or you're going to have to come into the house. Son, I told you if you stop, didn't stop doing that, you're going to have to come into the house. So you now need to come into the house. Remember when Moses struck the rock? He'd struck the rock for water once before, but the second time he struck the rock in another situation, God says, that's it. You're coming into the house. You're not going to be able to see the promised land. I actually was diving into some reflection and study on this particular view of this passage today, and I was stunned in God speaking to my own life. Because there is a sin unto defiance against God, knowing defiance and push back against God. And sometimes God will say to a brother or sister, that's it. Sometimes I wonder, will Achan be in heaven? Will Ananias and Sapphira be in heaven, right? What about Hezekiah? Hezekiah sinned. Isaiah said, that's it. God says, you're going to die. But what Hezekiah do? He turned and he repented. And he said, oh my goodness, please save me, God. And Isaiah, before he got out the door, turned back around and tell Hezekiah, he says, hey, God's given you 15 more years. I don't fully know what this passage is talking about. I'll honestly admit to you that it's an illustration of effective prayer. He places it in there. He talks about a sin unto death, and he's referencing brothers and sisters that commit sin. Be mindful of the life you live and not choosing to press back against God on things that you know that you need to be moving forward with him on. Can you hear me now? The certainty of God hearing and the certainty of us having. If the request is if the request is wrong, God will say no. If the timing is wrong, God will say slow. If you are wrong, God will say grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, then God will say go. Next week, we're going to finish out the actual text of this letter. But we would be amiss here this morning if we didn't put into practice what we've just heard. And so we're going to have a few moments here to pray. Before we head into that prayer, I want to ask those who are ushers, they're going to take the Lord's tithes and the connection cards, offerings, if you would just come forward and start receiving those. Um, if you want to give online, you can give online by texting the word AWAKENING to 77977, and I tell you what, we're at a place as a church where I can give great encouragement in this area as we move forward. Um, I'd like to say post-COVID, but that's definitely not what's happening now, is it? 
May the Lord sustain us. Things are in his will. Thank you for your gifts and your giving. It's unto him. But as they come, just come forward, and I want you to drop those cards with those three names in that uh, basket. I want us to pray for Afghanistan. Some of you know that uh, there are Christians in Afghanistan. There used to not be Christians there much at all. During the last 20 years, there has been a Christian church, and it's been multiplying, and there are Christians there. We hear on the news the um, scary, tragic thing about the, the pulling out of the American armed forces and uh, all kinds of concerns embedded in that. But I have a concern, as I know you would this morning, for the Christians that are there. And I want us to pray for the Church of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. We can pray for the women, the young girls, for those who helped the Americans that are in harm's way. We can pray for the Americans to be evacuated. We can pray for our government, for our leaders, for our military leaders. A lot of things that we can pray for, and maybe God would lead you into praying for that. But in these moments, I want us to pray for the Christian church because I remember the images of the United States leaving Saigon in Vietnam. And on the next to the last helicopter out of Saigon, there were Christian and Missionary Alliance missionaries, the denomination we're a part of. And when the Alliance left, they didn't know what would happen to the Christian church that had been established there. But today, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, as well as many other churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance is the largest church in Vietnam because of what happened through that tragic time in Vietnam. Oh God, how could you use something so horrendous and scary to be glorified? I don't know. But I do know that there's probably eight to 10,000 Christians now in Afghanistan. Some of them officially registered with the government this summer purposely, knowing that they would probably have their lives at stake but they wanted their kids to know that somebody stood and somebody declared whose side they were on. The Islamic faith is not a faith of peace. doesn't mean that Islamic people or Muslim people aren't peaceful people. But if you read the Quran, it is not a religion that talks about peace and God's love. There's a lot going on even in the spiritual realm at this very hour. It was a week ago this day that we started to see some of these images that stand behind me. And we can get enthralled in things, even in the politics of it, but what we need to be doing as believers in Christ is we need to be praying in the will of God for him to be glorified with the Afghani people and for people to come to faith, even if they end up facing death. Word has that they're going door to door in some regards and knowing who certain Christians are and they're looking on their phone if they have a Bible app or anything Christian. It'd be a scary thing. We're 
thousands of miles away from there. I'm doing an impromptu here. Juan, would you come up? Some of you know Juan. Juan and his wife, Marines. I know you would probably have had a heavy heart this week watching a lot of things. I'm going to ask you to pray. And we're going to pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. And we're going to pray in the will of God that he would be glorified and that his mission would move forward, that the Taliban would be held at bay, that Americans can get home, that wise decisions would be made, even if unwise decisions may have been made in recent months. But we have the ability to enter the throne room and be bold in our prayer because God hears prayers that are prayed in his will and he answers. Will you stand with me? And however you feel led and praying a direction, Juan's going to lead us in a prayer. May our spirits be led according to his will as we intercede for him and our country at this time. Lord, Lord, as we stand here before you today as citizens of the kingdom of God, believers, those even seeking to believe you are love, fill our spirits, fill our hearts with that love, with that peace, hope, and faith, allow us to wear our armor, our shoes of good news, our sword of the spirit, and our shield of faith, and breastplate of righteousness. Lord, yes. just allow us today to ask for your will to be done in everything. We're mentioning Afghanistan. Let us not forget about the earthquake in Haiti or the hurricane, uh, tropical storm approaching New York City, and the information warfare that's taking place, whether cyber, cyber attacks on the Colonial Pipeline or anything in the Pacific Ocean or here in our valley. Lord, today I ask on behalf of our church and those who will stand beside us to pray for our church, your church, um, to be strong and to be present, specifically in Afghanistan, Lord, for those people, all people, who have you at the center of their hearts, who open their hands and open their hearts and pray that you come in and give that hope and that faith and that love and that peace, that armor, mm -hmm. a belt of truth and that helmet of salvation, Lord, I, I pray today that that you bring peace to all of us, that you bring peace mm -hmm. to the members, the citizens of the kingdom yes, of your body, Lord. Fill us with the Spirit, bring us peace, and allow us that peace, because it's your will. Allow us to, mm -hmm. to just continue to move forward, strapping on those shoes of good news at every opportunity to serve mm -hmm. as ambassadors for you. Whether it's on a boat yesterday where you filled Manny and Tom and myself with the words, 
when we save the life of a human being, or whether it's for those of us who have been in the Middle East, those who want to go, allow us to pray from here at home that we save more lives mm. in spirits, physically, uh, or in our spirits, so that we have everlasting life in you. Lord, Amen. I pray this today in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Manny. Thank you, everyone. Continue to pray in the Father's will. He hears you. You're now dismissed to the outer court to hang around.